Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Daily Coast The Brief. It's our weekly show about politics. I'm Marcus Melissa. I'm here with Carrie Alavelt, and joining us is Simon Rosenberg, friend of the show, friend in real life for years and years and years. We're going to be talking about Joe Biden and how Republicans are struggling so hard to land blows on him. They utterly have failed in branding him as a whether it's incompetent, whether it's cognitive decline, whether it's dangerous president, like whatever that, whatever those narratives are, they have failed every step of the way. We're going to be talking about that today. Just a little programming note. We are pre-recording this a couple of weeks ago uh, because of people's vacation. So if Donald Trump was indicted again in Georgia this week, it's not totally that possible. It. <laughs> it's not that we're ignoring <laughs> you, it. You, you never know. You never know. Like all of a sudden he's in an orange jumpsuit or something. We just don't want to, we just don't want you to think we ignored that. So, so Simon Rosenberg is an old time party uh, operative um, working in elections and working on messaging and working on engaging the Latino community. You can find him today at Hopium Chronicles on Substack, uh, where he has found a second life, um, <laughs> second career in, in providing informed, data-driven, um, optimistic look on, on, on the Democratic situation. It's really easy to do, right, Simon, because things are actually looking pretty good for Democrats in a way that it, they hadn't for decades. Yeah, it is amazing um, what's happened this year. I mean, I what I'd like to say is that in 2022, we did better than everyone expected because Joe Biden has been a good president and they're a little too crazy and our grassroots you know, worked really hard and pushed us to the upper end of what was possible in the election. And But that idea that Joe Biden's been a good president, that our case for that is actually much stronger today than it was even during the election last year. And you know, we've seen the economy is continuing to be very strong, inflation's come down, the deficit is down, wages are up. You know, we've sort of gotten through this really difficult patch in the United States, uh, better than any of the other advanced economies in the world. Inflation is much lower here than it is in Europe. So his economic performance now, it's just clearer that he's been a very sound steward of the American economy. But the other things that have happened, which are really consequential, is that the border, his border plan is working and flows to the border, uh, irregular flows to the border have come way, way down and sort of blowing up that entire Republican attack on him. I mean, it and, seemed and, yeah. logical though, that if yeah. you remove those policies that kept those immigrants out, that it would spur, I mean, it wasn't an, a logical attack. A lot of what the Republicans do is utter bullshit, right? That yeah. one had some internal logic to it, but it really has confounded conventional wisdom in, in a way Honestly, it surprised even me. Yeah, that, well, because and can I tell you, Marcos, you know that I've worked on these issues for twenty yes. years, and and I and I'm I know a lot about the policy. The reason it's being successful is because th they innovated and made very smart public policy. It's not what every you know, not all the immigration groups are happy, but what they did was they created new legal pathways for people who want to come here to apply for asylum or to get into the legal immigration system without having to come to the border itself. And so what's happened is that people have stopped coming. Why, is, why does that matter? Or they haven't stopped coming, but it's come way down. Is because the trek that people were making from wherever they were coming, from Venezuela, from Colombia, from Nicaragua, where, whatever country they were coming from, was incredibly dangerous. They were having to trust their lives and their well-being to criminals, to cartels. 
And one of the things that Biden has done is that he's made that journey an option now rather than a requirement. And so what he's doing is that he's saving people's lives. He's saving people tens of thousands of dollars, their entire life savings. And he's also drying up money that's going into cartels and to fueling illegal activity in Mexico and in, in, the, in Latin America. So this was a very far-sighted policy, set of policies. It's had, it, and I can tell you that I was in conversations with people in the administration, and there was always a scenario where this was gonna happen this way. It wasn't guaranteed, but this wasn't an accident, right? This is really smart people spending two years dealing with a broken system that they inherited, very difficult circumstances with COVID, with climate refugees and all the things that we're seeing. And what started getting scary about the border, and I, I, we can move on, is that you started seeing people showing up there from very far away, you know, from not from neighboring countries, but from Cuba and from Venezuela. And what that meant was that the, the trafficking networks were getting more ambitious and more capable, meaning that they could start take, taking people from Asia and from further south, and 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 so the the danger to our yeah, country, even, even Russia, Eastern yeah, Europe Russia, right. Up. The danger yeah. to our country. These muscular trafficking networks that were making money, ten thousand dollars, fifteen thousand dollars a pop, right. They were getting stronger and more capable. It was becoming an even greater threat to the country. So by denying those cartel, the cartels and these trafficking networks that money, they're drying up the ability for them to continue to traffic people from very far away. So long story short, this has been very successful. We also know on another area where Republicans get so much fuel in their story and their narrative around crime, we know a few things about that now that we didn't know, right? First of all, yes, crime went up under starting under Trump during COVID. It's not a big surprise, but we know today that the stats this year or that the murder rate in the 90 largest cities have dropped by over 10%, a huge plummeting of the murder rate in the United States. We know that the murder rate is higher in red states than in blue states. And we also know that the crime rate is a fraction of what it was 30 years ago. And so the basic logic of the crime argument, which has been so critical to them, is also blowing up in their faces right now and disappearing. And we know that the president's success in Russia, in, in Ukraine, is also showing him to be a powerful figure on the global stage. And so his presidency and the success of his presidency has made, is, is causing all of their narratives about him to evaporate. And it means that their central argument against him, which is that he's been a bad president, is becoming, in my view, unsustainable. And it means that they're likely going to now double down on areas that are far less productive for them, things about Kamala Harris is going to be the real president and Biden crime family. And he's actually secretly a Venezuelan dictator who's arresting his, you know, his opponents, right? All this stuff. All, they can keep doing all that stuff. He's, that the, stuff is, he's the original right. Jewish space laser out yeah, of yeah, right. Italy. No, he's, he's actually Hugo Chavez. You didn't know that. He's a, we thought he was in a JFK Jr. was coming back. It's actually Hugo Chavez. And, you know, the point is that all of those arguments are all in the periphery of our politics and in people's and people's minds, and so it means that the central attack against Biden for his reelection is evaporating, and it's a huge problem for the Republican Party. Yeah, I I have to say, so I I have been so I've been hearing all this good economic news, and and right, and I I don't track 
all of it quite the way you do. You know, you're much more like focused on it. But, you know, here and there, obviously, with the unemployment rate and with the job creation and with manufacturing and, you know, uh, just it just keeps going. I mean, he he keeps beating expectations, basically, Biden and the administration that the economy just keeps beating expectations, even as, you know, some of our our Western allies are are heading into recession. And we're not. And and, you know, (laughs) The the media has been pounding the drum of recession for like a year and a half now, and we're still not in a recession. And guess what? You know, like this great news usually just doesn't translate to the polling. Right. It usually you usually don't start. I'm starting to see it translating to the polling. So not only is like the University of Michigan, they have that, you know, consumer index um, that is looking positive. You you might be able to talk about that in just a second in more detail. But I look at civics every morning and I look at our our civics daily tracking of, you know, is uh, President Biden doing enough to create jobs? Um, Is the economy uh, moving in the right direction, wrong direction, neither that type of thing? You're starting to see this actually register within the last few weeks. And I'm like, wow. I mean, it it usually just the polling usually just doesn't budge. And it's it. It's starting to budge in civics, and I'm just waiting for it to budge a little more before I, I write it up. But Well, a central reason why that is is that inflation has come way, way, way down. I mean, this is like a, just a bit, you know, there's, you know, we talk about polling and sort of electoral facts. There's also just economic facts, right? There's economic data that feeds into public opinion. And the truth is, you know, last the, the last time we had the last jobs report, 339,000 jobs are created. I mean, just by comparison, you know, that would be three years of job growth under the last three Republican presidents in a single month, right? I mean, it's a lot of jobs. It's way more than the, the, the monthly average over the last 40 years. And inflation has dropped down now to what is the equivalent of 1.2% on an annualized basis. There's, there's a little bit of confusion on the data on this. Let me just explain this is that you often hear the number 4%. Well, 4% is how much inflation's increased over the last 12 months. How much did inflation increase last month, which is what matters to people, right? Not over the last 12 months, but last month. And that was only 0.1%, which means that inflation was running at 1.2% last month, meaning that it barely budged. And so people are, you know, your people I think are really feeling the improved economy because um, in ways they hadn't before, Job growth remains very strong. One of my favorite data points, right, for is a navigator question. Uh, the navigator poll asks a question, which is, are you happy with your job, wages, and benefits? Or is it an area of major concern? And in their last poll, only 5% of voters said that having a good job with good benefits and good wages was a major concern to them. I mean, think about that. I mean, that's the essential economic question, right, isn't it? Which is like, do you have a job that's making enough money for you to get by? And the number of people who are concerned about that is 5%. The number of Republicans who are concerned about that was zero, right? <laughs> I mean, zero in a poll, zero, right? They actually published zero. They, they didn't and, realize that they were actually saying something nice about right? Joe Biden. No, right. And so it's not just the data that we have. It's also the data that's not there. And the stuff that's missing and what you're seeing is that, you know, is that inflation is, you know, on the most important issue, inflation's only in the 20s. That's not an issue that's now driving 
the public discourse any longer. And, and what you're seeing in the data, to your point, Carrie, is that you're starting to see real evidence that people understand that things are improving. And I think my guess is that Biden's approval rating will start ticking up a little bit. I mean, I don't, I don't think it's, I don't think we should be Pollyannish about that. But you know, Joe Biden's economic stewardship has been remarkable. The country is much better off today than when he came as president. And he's now in his, you know, in the third year starting to tackle some of the other things that needed to be tackled that perhaps just didn't get, that they couldn't get around to finishing a border, the crime rates come down. And so on this basic idea, when you run for re-election, right, what's the fundamental question? Are we better off? Did you do a good job? And the answer to that is, yes, we're better off. Joe Biden's been a good president. It's a huge problem for the Republican Party. But but Simon, that wasn't the question in 2022, because we might have lost the election in 2022, because inflation was at its all-time peak in yeah. during that election cycle, and gas prices were high. And yet, because of democracy issues, because yeah. of... Uh, because of abortion, abortion, Democrats were able to win. Now, yeah. that was the one issue Republicans had going for them. You take that away, <laughs> you take that away. is still an issue. Democracy this, is still an issue. Now the economy's off the table. What listen, do they have left? I'm glad you they raised it. The, yeah, I, I'm glad you raised it the way you did. Because in 2022, if I'm right, right, that we won because we, we had done a good enough job <clears throat> and they were too crazy. Where we are now, right, summer of 2023, is that the case that Joe Biden, you know, has been a good president is much stronger. And the case that they've gone a little bit too crazy is also much stronger. And so those two trend lines in terms of the things that shape our, you know, the political environment, both of these things have gotten worse for them. And one of the ways that we know is let's just take civics data, right? I've been kind of obsessed with civics track on DeSantis's favorability. This, I've been writing about this a lot. You know, DeSantis was even in his favorability a few months ago. He's now at 35% favorable, 55% unfavorable. That's not something he can win the presidency with. I mean, he's in very dangerous terrain already. And, and so what I mean by what I say about MAGA is that the whole premise of this conversation about MAGA was that was it Trump or was it the Republicans? Was it something that should we be scared of Trump or... <laughs> has the MAGA virus infected the entire Republican Party? It is now clear as day that it's infected the entire Republican Party. The problem is with the Republicans, not just Trump. And it's getting worse. It's not getting better. That means as we head into 2024, and even, even the data we've been getting on abortion, right? People are much more pro-abortion now than they were a year ago. All those numbers are going in the wrong direction. And, you know, the Republicans, that, yeah, I think, Republicans. have a... Yeah, have a have a have a steep hill to climb next year, based on where things are today. Now things are going to change, right? We're going to a year from now we'll be in a different election. But if the election were held today, I think we'd be in pretty good shape. Yeah, that you know, on abortion, I was just writing about it this morning, and uh, it you know the the numbers people are first of all it's become more restrictive than people expected. So so after the fall of Roe. It's been worse than most people expected, right? Yep. It's also they're also realizing that most people, uh, you know, plurality of voters, I think actually a majority of voters have have realized that the health outcomes are worse, and you know, it's more dangerous to be pregnant in the U.S. now than it was. I mean, these are those are that's just devastating news on the abortion front. Um, so you know, you've got democracy on the ballot. 
um, you've got abortion on the ballot and, and I think is going to be even more salient than it was last year. Um, and, the, and then you've got a, what, what is looking, shaping up to be a pretty decent economy. I mean, that is a strong freaking hand. Yeah, it's a strong hand. And I think there's going to be two anchors around the Republican Party over the next 18 months, regardless of who their nominee is. One is just Trump's depravities and his criminality and his malfeasance and his betrayal of the country. I mean, there's no way they're going to be able to say, oops, you know, Trump who? You know, he was the water boy, right? Like, you know, even if he goes down and isn't the nominee, he's going to be a very large presence in the election because it, it is. Oh, he won't, is, won't be quiet either. If he goes yeah, down, he won't he's be quiet. Be and, and, yeah. And the yeah. second thing that I'm really in, intrigued by, and it's why I'm kind of focused on DeSantis, is that I think DeSantis's sort of wild legislative session where he went to the right, to the far, far right on so many issues, right, where Florida now has permitless carry and six-week abortion ban and, uh, you know, they banning books and they were, he's removed democratically elected officials. He was given $100 million to build sort of a secret police, you know, in Florida. All these things together, I think, are going to end the attack on Disney and something, Marcos, I know that we'll be talking about a lot over the next, you know, 18 months is that the most restrictive and anti-immigrant uh, law mm-hmm. Uh, immigration law ever passed in the modern era of American politics is already having a devastating effects on businesses all across Florida is that that we're going to be able to take and say, look, if you want, if you elect a Republican next year, this is what you're going to get. Right. And we're going to be able to show in very graphic terms, the degradation of the state of Florida, you know, under his watch. And I think this is going to be an enormous problem for whoever the Republican nominee is. This immigration bill, you know, one of the things you'll see in the civics data on DeSantis is that his numbers with Hispanics are really bad in this in this data, which means that Hispanic voters across the country are becoming aware of what he's doing to immigrants in his state. And it's driving his numbers down badly with Hispanics. It's part of the premise of the DeSantis campaign is that he'd be able to win Hispanic voters outside of Florida. I think he's already burned that all to the ground. And I didn't realize that, he said oh, that, it's, just that part. Yeah, <laughs> no, no. So, <laughs> so I was, I was, Simon, I was listening to you on a different yeah. podcast, and you were like, <laughs> the, the, collapse is to say, uh, the collapse of DeSantis has been truly amazing work yeah. over the past. You know, I was like, it's, yes, it's amazing. You know, for, for political professionals, right? I mean, it is like the Hindenburg or, or whatever, you know, the Titanic. It's this massive machine that has just been – ugly, awful, terrible, like whatever the words are, illiberal, scary, you know, it's just what a mess he is. Like he's just he an unbelievable mess. You know? And he did it after 2022 election, right? Most of that oh, totally. has happened. Oh, so it's entirely. Not, he, yeah. you know, he can brag about having won Florida by 10 points or whatever the final result was, but, but the damage he's done, like what he, <laughs> the old DeSantis was actually more dangerous than whatever it is that he's become. Right. No, no, he, look, they, I, I have a theory that what happened was that he decided because he had the legislative session and he had a, this resigned to run law that they, he needed to be the governor during the legislative session. And so he needed some way to be in the national press. And so they decided to do this book. And when you write a book, Marcos, you know this, right? You got to finish the book six to nine months in advance. Yeah. And they had to lock him, They locked him into this new right wing brand in the summer of 2022 to get the book out. And 
at that time, everyone thought the red wave was coming and it was going to be a huge uh, right, right. election. <laughs> and they, and what was stunning to your point, the point you just made is that they didn't read the room. I mean, the election wasn't a red wave and everywhere outside of Florida, this kind of politics failed and they doubled down on it. And, and this, and the inability for them to have course corrected after the election is the thing that is stunning, right? And I think it shows how inexperienced he really is, how inexperienced his team was. They made a series of really catastrophic mistakes, I think, in his positioning. And I think the immigration bill, for example, could end up dooming the entire Republican Party in the 2024 elections in the way that abortion is dooming them, right? These are, these are things like Wilson, like Pete Wilson in California many years ago, these are the kinds of things that can change an entire generation's understanding of a political party. I think abortion, I think, you know, when I've been on your show before, I often speculated that abortion, the pain for the Republican Party on abortion was going to get much worse this cycle than it was in 2022, because people were going to start understanding yeah. how, how barbaric and crazy the abortion restrictions were. And I don't think people knew that last year. Mm -hmm. And the numbers were still really bad for them. Now that we know how what they're really trying to do, you know, the numbers are getting much worse. And I just think of this, the simple idea, right? If you're a Latino couple living in Austin, Texas, you're 25 years old, your wife gets pregnant, it is now more likely that she's going to die than before because of the Republican Party. Are you going to vote for that party ever again the rest of your life? I mean, what an unbelievable betrayal to you and your family that you've put in your wife's health at risk to pursue this sort of extremist, you know, religious-based politics. I think people are going to be unforgiving to what the Republicans have done on abortion because it's so barbaric and so dangerous and puts so many women's lives in danger. This is the kind of stuff that can keep you out of power for a long time. Can we can we talk two seconds about that immigration bill? I don't think people yeah. realize, even myself, how extreme it is. And you probably know better. But I just yeah. was listening to a podcast recently, and I can't remember if it was you or someone else who said, yeah. "Look, if you're if you're just an American citizen, yeah. even if you even if you're from out of state and you drive um, an undocumented, uh, you know." Uh, um, a child wow. to school, right? Yep. Um, because you drove them to school, you could be subject to like 10 or 20 years in prison. It's a felony, it's a felony level crime in Florida starting on July 1st to drive and traffic, traffic an traffic, undocumented immigrant, right? Um, you know, to school, to hospital, to a baseball game, to anywhere. And it's a felony level crime. And it is... I, look, this is the most extreme immigration bill ever proposed in modern American history, let alone implemented. This goes far beyond what they tried to do in Arizona, you know, over a decade ago. And it's like Stephen Miller, you know, like threw up and, you know, like it's a fantasy. <laughs> it's a Stephen Miller fantasy bill. Like every crazy cockamamie idea he's ever had ended up in DeSantis's bill. And I, I think this immigration bill in the way that DeSantis has now gotten on the other side of Disney and looks like, you know, Disney pulled out hundreds of, you know, thousands of yeah. jobs out of Florida. Two thousand jobs, yeah. Yeah, it's hurt their economy. There is There are estimates from business groups in Florida that 10% of the Florida workforce could leave Florida in the next few years because of this bill. And, you know, what does it mean, you know, if you're an Uber driver, right? What does it mean if you're, I mean, mm. just you start going down and thinking through what this all really means, it's, there's been protests all over the state. Businesses are shutting down. I 
referenced. In uh, my the, the agriculture industry is the decimated. agriculture industry is going to go. You know, which is a. I huge mean, sixty percent are undocumented in Florida. I saw. Listen, I saw, Marcos. I mean, think about this, right? What's what's the engine of the Florida economy? Tourism, hotels, right? All you know, which are all fueled by immigrant families. Even if they're documented, they often live in mixed status households, and yep. you know, and so it means that they have family members now who basically can't go outside and. I just, I just don't think people really understand that the sort of this bill is probably going to violate international human rights treaties. It's, it is, it is barbaric. We know that we're historically, and one of the reasons they're doing this is because the Supreme Court has moved so far to the right. Historically, where the Supreme Court drew a very bright line was that you couldn't, whatever you wanted to do against undocumented immigrants, you couldn't interfere with their ability to go to school or get healthcare, that that was considered to be too far over the line in terms of human rights. This bill is way over the line on these basic fundamental things where they are terrorizing young people. They are trying to felon, you know, go after you when you're in a hospital and other things. It's unbelievable how radical and extreme this bill is. And this is not, you know, this is, you add that to six week abortion ban, permitless carry where you've already seen a rise in mass shootings yeah, in Florida, yep. right. You know, banning books, like that wasn't enough. They had to, they had to do that removing democratically elected officials from their position. Right. None of that's enough for Ron DeSantis. They had to, and he didn't learn his lesson from the, the failure in Martha's vineyard and the fact that he's now may get criminally prosecuted. Right. We forgot to mention that <laughs> criminally prosecuted for trafficking children. Right. Um, yeah. Certainly, it, there's yeah, been a recommendation. Gavin Newsom is is pushing that in California. He's, but he's so pushing are people that. in Texas, right? Yeah, I mean, this yeah. is coming from Texas, not just California. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, like, it's like, come on. I mean, this guy let's, is a he is a scary dude, and you know, we and it's but it's it's also an indictment of what's happened to them more broadly. That this yeah. guy could be have seen as the second coming or the alternative, uh-huh. and his he took this moment in the limelight. And decided to define the Republican Party in a way that is so extreme and so at odds with the American creed. And I think, you know, my view is that we're going to be taking Florida, you know, just one of the uh, navigator had a question the other day, asked people, do you want your state to become like more like Florida? And the number was like, you know. In the teens or something. Nobody right? wants to be and, Florida, yeah, man. Yeah, who, who the hell wants to be? You want to be more like Michigan? You don't want to be like Florida. And and um, but they, I think the ability for us to take the extremism of DeSantis's Florida and indict the entire National Republican Party with it is going to be one of our most powerful weapons over the next year and a half. So, Kerry, we're down to like the last, you know. Four or five minutes, and I know you had some questions about messaging. So here's your chance to to. Uh, here's my chance. That. Okay, cool. So I just want to I want to just cap that conversation about as long as we we were talking about the economy. I just yeah. want to remind people that in North Carolina, when they passed that bathroom bill, and a bunch of people pulled money out, just like is happening with um, Disney, and you know, and in terms of how the immigration bill is going to affect Florida's economy. They were projected to lose nearly $4 billion in in investment and revenues in uh, North Carolina because of that bathroom bill. So I just want to, when you think about Disney and what Florida could lose 
um, in terms of money, in terms of revenues, um, it's just going to be a disaster for their economy. Ma okay. major, major conferences are already being canceled, you know, two, three yep. years out. It's already happening. Yep, exactly. It's already happening. So um, I wanted to ask you, because you are have been very clear about how, you know, we need to trumpet the successes on uh, democratic successes on the economy. Um, and, you know, the, the, another sort of uh, guru in the Democratic space is a uh, messenger, uh, Anat Shanker Osorio. And one of the things that she has uh, she drives home is Democrats shouldn't talk about the economy. They should talk about working people because the economy is something uh, that that people don't sort of see themselves like there's a whole blue collar group of people who don't see themselves in the picture when you talk about the economy but when you talk about working people they do and i just wondered what you thought about that um yeah. and, and i do i do want to say i want to add that you know um Joe Biden has been very out front in the last few weeks as he shapes his um uh, his campaign message about I'm going to make the wealthy pay their fair share. He put it in his Oval Office address. He it's put very, it in his very Elizabeth War Warren there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very Elizabeth Warren, right? So he, so he is, he is driving at this disparity between working people and the rich. And I just wanted to get your your view on if we're talking about the economy, are we leaving people out, or is there a way to sort of square that? So, you know, this is, uh, I'm going to try to do this quickly, is that, you know, where my work really tries to focus is around narrative and argument and not what Anats often talks about was his message, which is like further down the line of the development of, of our stories that we tell. And I think to me, I'm, I'm very agnostic about how people use the information I'm producing um, I'm just trying to make sure we get the story right and that we get the argument right. And how then we then tell that story is up to each individual candidate and to each individual person, right? I mean, we all have our way of communicating this basic data. And I'm not I'm not telling people that we should hammer, you know, voters in their houses with the idea that 47 out of 49 million jobs have been created by Democrats. But we need to understand that, right? right. We need this data, these arguments in order to make us more effective, right, in our reaching out to regular voters. And I think that what I've learned is that there was a, an enormous amount of lack of understanding of some of the basic economic data. And that what I've tried to stay focused on is that I, I really believe we have to talk more about argument than we do about message. It's, it's not, they're not the same. And what I mean by that is that arguments are things that you make over time and that you try to win over a long period of time and you use messages to deliver that argument. The Republicans make arguments over a long period of time. They argued against Roe for 50 years. They did it in a variety of different messages and, and tactics, right? But there was a central engagement around an argument. And I think that I, what I worry about with our focus on messaging to some degree is that messages are very ephemeral. They feel like they can come and go. What's durable is an argument, right? And so I'm just trying to do more to help us uh, make better arguments and to, that are true and based and grounded in data and fact, both economic data and public opinion data, right? So that we become more effective at crafting messages that sell to voters. And, and I think the other thing I'll just say about her work is that, you know, 
one politician may sell this stuff very different from another one based on their life experience and their connection to their economy. And that's the great thing about politics, which is to me, what's most important is however you make your arguments and sell your messages, it's got to be done with passion and intensity and connectedness to your own life experience. And that's what makes people more effective communicators. And so I'm just trying, I'm sort of a little bit further upstream, perhaps, you know, in my work. Uh, and, and, but it's, she does great work and it's very complimentary, I think, to everything that we're trying to do at Hopium. I like that too, Simon, because um, Democrats for a long time had not been very secure in themselves, right? I mean, this, for, for decades, they would always, Democratic presidents would pick Republican secretaries of state because only <laughs> yeah. Republicans could be FBI strong directors, FBI directors. We've never had a Democratic <laughs> FBI director. Right. So, so just understanding that, yeah, no, we're better job creators. Republicans yeah. aren't better in the economy. Understanding that, you know, where we get in trouble as Democrats is we take those charts and, and graphs and then try to sell those to, to, to voters. So we need that other layer on, yeah. on how, to, how to message that. But no, the arguments themselves are absolutely critical. And, and you're doing absolutely incredible work and, and uh, so glad to have you. That is our show for today. Simon, thank you so much for joining us. Always such great conversations. And I hope you don't mind because we're going to be checking in with you, you know, repeatedly throughout this year and next because mark marcos if i can just end with one basic thought for everybody which is that joe biden has been a good president the country is better off and the democratic party is really strong and that's the place we need to live in every day it's all true and it's how we crush them in the elections next year biden absolutely outperformed my expectations <laughs> and i was a fierce critic during the primary so it's, it's i remember i remember marcos pleasant, <laughs> pleasant surprise i'm owning it i'm owning it so thank you so yes. much simon thanks, thanks Gary, for being such a lovely co-host thanks to walter who produces the show thanks to uh paul who helps behind the scenes and thanks to all of you viewers listeners readers who are part of the daily coast community and part of this movement to save our democracy from the forces of MAGA. Thanks so much. Uh, love you all. Appreciate you all. Catch you all next week. Bye.